，我们永远支持共产党，但是我们要民主，我们要自由。民主的共产党万岁！共产党和民主和自由冲突吗？冲突。Ling Li, lecturer at the University of Vienna, here to talk today on November twenty eighth about the protests in China and the evolution of COVID zero policy. Where should we start? When、uh, talking about the historical development of the COVID policy, the key point to remember is when the rest of the world had gradually eased to the open up, opening up phase in this summer.、Mm. China still insisted on the zero COVID policy, and due to its past success in the earlier phase of the pandemic,、uh, well, by earlier phase I mean the phase after the initial breakout.、Uh, obviously, the 2020 Wuhan lockdown certainly could not be described as a success,、uh, but after、uh, its success in the subsequent phase. Uh, mainly in the second half of 2020 and most part of 2021,、uh, this policy was advertised by the party as a secret of China's victorious war against the pandemic, which could be delivered only in China thanks to its unique political system and leadership. So at that time, there were、uh, two interpretations or projections of the. Future development of the policy、uh, this past summer. What is that? The policy was to stay forever as a permanent method for social control for the benefit of the、uh, leadership of the party. And the second is that the policy had to be kept in place because of the twentieth Party Congress, because the zero COVID policy would help. To eliminate any nasty surprise that would otherwise ruin the celebratory mood and tarnish the spectacles of the Congress,、uh, just imagine what an embarrassment it would have been if what happened yesterday had happened during the Party Congress. So before the Twentieth Party Congress, both interpretations: one is that's going to stay forever, and the other is it's going to stay only、uh, until the Party Congress. Both interpretations looked possible to me. It could go either way at that time,、uh, because either would make sense. But soon after the Congress, the newly elected Politburo Standing Committee authorized a new policy at the beginning of the month. Called Twenty Measures to Optimize the COVID Control Policy, which contains a number of measures that are aimed at easing up the lockdown, including the lifting of the citywide forty-eight-hour mandatory PCR test,、uh, including the free access to grocery stores in some places without scanning your Changshou Mao, whatever code they are having. Uh, and there are also other measures, including easing up the、uh, international travels.、Uh, obviously, the twenty measures are far from enough from、uh, being entirely open up.、Uh, and at the same time, it also has a he- heavy emphasis on partial lockdown measures, which is natural because any sensible transition is expected to be gradual. But it has nevertheless shown that the party has not locked itself in the 
lockdown policy just for the convenience of political con- political control. It also shows that the party is willing to open up when the condition is right. Uh, what happened afterward is that the number of infection cases skyrocketed in the last few weeks, and the policy was quickly reversed which makes me believe that the party has a genuine concern that an immature open-up will make the mortality rate reach a point that is unbearable. However, this is a difficult phase that many countries have experienced, and the fact that it is difficult does not mean it is not viable or it has no recourses. Nor does it mean that one can survive the crisis simply by hiding out and continuing with the lockdown. And as both you and I know, the two key issues in overcoming or alleviating the pain of the opening up process is the vaccination and the increase of medical treatment capacity. And from the reports that I have access to at present, no significant improvement has been made in this direction. There seems still no result of a domestically developed uh, mRNA vaccine. In contrast, considerable resources have been continuously poured in to enforce the lockdown measures, to reinstate the PCR test, and now to crack down the protests and to maintain social stability. This makes me wonder whether the decision makers at, at both the policymaking and policy implementation levels have been captured by the business interests of the COVID-related industries who seem to have the most to gain from a prolonged lockdown policy. And these industries would include PCR testing industry and constructors and operators for the uh, makeshift hospitals and other auxiliary services. These groups seem to gain most from zero-COVID policy, given the sheer size of the gigantic demands for their services. So I'm wondering who are behind these industries, who owns these companies, what's their relationship with the licensing authorities? Anything smells like corruption? Does any member of the COVID-controlled decision-making body in Beijing have a business interest in this? So what's more intolerable to the party, seeing a million Chinese people die over the course of two months or um, continued street protests? Let's talk a little bit about the relationship between COVID-0 and the protests. You talked a little bit um, about how sort of expectations were raised after the party Congress. And then we saw continued lockdowns in the face of spiking, um, spiking numbers, which I'm sure gave a lot of folks a sense of hopelessness that this was, in fact, never going to end. Um, and then over the past few days, we saw the fire in, uh, in Xinjiang, followed by protests nationwide. How do you think these how do you think the street actions have um, you know, potentially changed the um, the calculus of decision makers in Beijing. I don't know because it's a. I assume it's a still ongoing process, and I hope uh, the 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 new popular standing committee members in Beijing are coming together and trying to get out of the crisis in some way. 
uh, because one one reason for the Politburo Standing Committee to meet is uh, in face of national crisis and the protests right now we're seeing right now certainly qualify as a national level crisis. Uh, so in their calculus, I can only imagine uh, because there's so much resemblance and parallel that we can draw from the protests now or yesterday and the protests back in 1989 when uh, the protests started to, to spread across the nation, starting from the universities and then spill over to other social sectors. And certainly uh, there will be a concern or fear that the same, the history will uh, repeat itself. But I doubt it would because uh, in 1989, uh, if my memory serves correctly, uh, before the army was brought in for the crackdown, the local police did not involve themselves into repressing the protesters. And that's the situation in 1989. Now it's uh, 30 years later. We have to remember uh, the Chinese police bureau have been trained for social stability maintenance to deal with these kind of situations for more than 20 years. And they are more responsive than it was before. And they have more uh, strategies, tactics to disperse the, the, the crowds and to repress the crackdown and to prevent and de-escalate the situation very quickly. Uh, as we have seen a little bit already, uh, the process has been started already today. I, I think you're right. Um, my, my sense is over the weekend, um, uh, the, the, the sort of police system was caught a little bit off guard. Um, and, and I think what you're seeing uh, overnight or I guess Monday night, China time, is, you know, massive police presence that has seemingly made it uh, hard, if not impossible, for the hundreds and thousands to gather like they did um, on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. There is another issue. I think the, the, the reason, the fact that the protests can spread overnight almost or over a couple of days uh, in so many different places, which is unseen for the last 10 or 20 years. And uh, one of the reasons that it could happen is, uh, I think, a weakening of the surveillance control. Maybe because of the, the economic slowdown that the state uh, do not have such uh, a big amount of resources to hire all these workers to conduct the online activity review and surveillance as efficiently and effectively uh, as they did before. This might be a factor that has uh, enabled this uh, overspread of protests happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I did find that really remarkable as well. You know, there's this narrative in the Western media that, uh, um, you know, China's Internet ecosystem is like fully controlled by the party. But the amount of content um, on the largest platforms that got shared millions of times was truly astounding uh, to see on uh, on WeChat and Douyin and and uh, Douban and whatnot over and Weibo as well over the past few days. Um, I also think you know there there is an aspect of uh, if you're not going to take more extreme measures like 
shutting down Pangyochan, like just, you know, pulling the plug on the internet. Uh, if you're still allowing people to post in real time, um, uh, ultimately you are going to run into sort of a, a human capital limit on the, on the sensor side. Um, the other thing I've, I've sort of noticed watching these sorts of things is particularly over weekends, um, the censorship seems to be a little less tight and aggressive. And of course this, this, um, uh, this really bubbled over over the past, um, uh, uh, over you the past 72 general, hours. What? You mean in general, the censorship during weekends has always been. I think so. Yeah. More relaxed. Okay. Cause people, people work those, those sensors, they're, people, they're, 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 they're not, uh, they are Jojo Leo, they, they, they take off their, uh, I think they're, they're, they're only on the job for, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. It seems. Do you think the, the sort of online and in-person protests over the past 40, uh, over the past few days cause party leadership to question any assumptions they had? There's this debate or conjecture, um, uh, to what extent Xi Jinping is objectively informed of what's going on in his country, right? Uh, does he have full information about what's going on below him? And I think this question should be further subdivided. For example, for the Xinjiang Wulumochi uh, fire, right? Uh, I'm sure he's going to be informed about the accident, that something happened and uh, a number of people got killed in the accident. However, would he be objectively informed of the reason that has caused the problem, the accident? Is, it going to, is he going to be briefed uh, as if uh, the accident was caused because uh, the residents there uh, failed to behave themselves properly, as the official announcement have uh, said, or is it going to be uh, explained as this complexity of the lockdown measure and the excessive measure that have uh, prevented people from escaping? I'm not sure which version of the story uh, he he will he would he would have heard. So depending on the information that he's fed, obviously the picture and the understanding and the solution they're going to come with will be different. Yeah, I mean, but it's not just the information. It's also the sort of mindset and frame that he looks at these sorts of things. And, you know, I can't imagine a world in which he sees sort of protests on the street as something to be responded to softly or con in a conciliatory manner. Um, right? I, I, I think the repression will have to happen. Uh, we don't know the severity of the repression yet, but they will certainly be uh, demobilized uh, for now to prevent the uh, continued sub spread of the protests in other parts of the country. Uh, but what are they going to do with all those uh, leading uh, students, especially the organizers of the protests? That's another issue. He could treat them with more leniency uh, through this education, uh, and don't. Uh, the worst scenario is to prosecute them under the the disguise of the. Uh, 
I don't know, w which crime they would use either. Maybe let's stay on that for a second. What are the sort of pros and cons of the, let's just sweep this under the rug and kind of not make a big deal of it versus let's, you know, make an example out of some people in a, in a aggressively public manner. I've. I believe he will make a few exemplary cases to deter uh, further actions or similar actions from other students or other people who have the inclination to go to the streets and uh, air their grievances. Um, but I don't think it's a wise decision or a good time Oh, probably it's never a good time for large-scale repression, uh, which means to arrest a lot of people uh, and uh, set them through the prosecutory procedure, as we have seen in Hong Kong. Why? I don't have a full rationalization behind it. I don't know whether it's a wishful thinking, uh, and it's not that I I believe that uh, the, the the Hong Kong protester uh, should be treated more harshly. Uh, certainly not that, uh, but I have an intuition that he might see domestic politics differently from uh, politics in Hong Kong, which is further away from mainland China, and. Uh, whatever he's doing in mainland China might be multiplied uh, and its multiplication effect may lead to some outcomes that he does not want to see or uh, will be more difficult to control. So, so the downside case of more aggressive repression is scarier. Um, when you're talking about arresting students in Beijing than you are in arresting students in Hong Kong. Yes, that, that will be my intuition. Um, yeah, I mean, that may be true, like objectively, but that may not be something that, um, you know, resonates in Zhongnanhai, right? Or maybe yeah. not, I don't know. There, there certainly will be hotliners like uh, what happened in 1989, but we don't know uh, who belongs to which camp, especially with uh, this newly elected Politburo and Politburo Standing Committee. They have a lot of new members whose personality and uh, uh, political stances are something we are yet to learn. I want to come back to the protesters for a second. There's this, you know, narrative that Chinese people are docile and they've been ruled by autocracy for thousands of years and you can't expect um you know people to real you know uh, chinese people to really be all particularly excited about civil um uh civil rights um has has have the events over the past and and you know all things considered um since 1989 uh things have been relatively quiet on the political activism on the mass political activism front uh, has what you've seen over the past few days uh, caused you to, you know, question any of your assumptions or challenge stereotypes? Um, how much should folks update on, you know, the potential future of China, uh, given what we've seen over the past few days? Uh, 
Um, I think a lot of the risk-taking, protesting actions are driven by emotional factors more than the rational factors. And rational, uh, if you think rationally, uh, going out to the street to protest uh, is very unlikely to win, right? Because the, 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 the strength between the protesters and uh, the government that you're protesting against is uh, dispro disproportionate and you are on the losing side. And that's clear for everyone. Uh, so if you think rationally, uh, you wouldn't go out to protest because it's a high risk and no gain activity. Uh, so I believe emotion plays a very important factor in this kind of decision making. And emotion is contagious as well. And when you see a larger crowd of people who go to the street, uh, you may be affected by it very quickly without having to process uh, rationally uh, whether this decision is wise one, whether you should do it now, and what would happen next. Uh, so that's why uh, some uh, critical crisis may trigger this emotion. And as the right environment where information can uh, be communicated, can transmit more freely, uh, then something like this might happen. So the Wurumuti fire will be the trigger and the uh, relaxed surveillance measures on the internet will be a, a catalyst and all these conditions uh, added together and the long time repression by the government because of the lockdown policy for the, for the past three years, uh, all these added together, uh, that, that makes the perfect condition for the perfect storm. Uh, which is what we we saw yesterday. I mean, it's such a deep irony that sort of the, you know, quote unquote, greatest manifestation of the CCP in controlling COVID, where basically where almost every other country in the world couldn't stop spreads um, was because such um, it was because the party is so close to people and, and has and has an ability to control down to, you know, very, very local levels. Um, and sort of manifest state power in such a in-your-face way um, that that was both the sort of probably, you know, one could argue the greatest triumph of Xi in 2020 um, of being able to stop the spread without having millions of Chinese die, um, but also has contributed to the most dramatic, um, uh, you know, um, you know, but has also directly led to the, um, you know, greatest challenge to power that he's seen. Okay, I just want to remind you that what we have seen and we, we, we have somehow our, uh, we, we live in our own echo chamber, right? Uh, we, we, we choose the information that we want to see, all uh, information that we share with the same kind of value set. Uh, but there's also a considerable uh, percentage of population in China uh, who do not support the protests for whatever reasons. And there's also a segment of the society who 
have not suffered that much from the lockdown measures uh, because there are privileged uh, neighborhoods and uh, uh, even certain uh, sector of the population, they benefit from the lockdown measures and they do not share the same level of sympathy with the protesters as many others do. How do you think these, how do you think the protests will impact the trajectory of COVID-0? Um, I think given the scale of the protests and the visibility of the protests, um, it's clearly, I mean, for, for, for things like the Wu uh, fire accident, uh, the, the, the central authority, including Xi Jinping, most importantly, Xi Jinping himself, could be blinded by a distorted version of the analysis of the accident, right? But for, for the protests, because you can see uh, students and people are making speeches and uh, articulating why they are doing what they are doing, right? So it's very difficult for him to claim that he didn't get the right message. Uh, so that information should be able to flow to the top decision maker without much distortion. And if, if that is the case, uh, I think he, he, he has to take it into consideration. And because they have already relaxed the lockdown policy uh, at the beginning of November, that shows there's a certain flexibility uh, among the top decision makers in the uh, new Politburo Standing Committee to start to prepare the population for the easing up. So I think they are going to continue uh, with that direction. But what they need to do uh, very quickly is to reallocate the resources uh, to the direction of vaccination and building up capacities in public hospitals instead of pouring all the resources in the lockdown measures. And lastly, is there anything we can say now about what, if anything, these protests do for China's relations with the world and maybe China's standing in the world as well? Yeah, I mean, maybe like, look, I think a lot of countries are basing their their sort of relationships with China on the expectation that China is going to, you know, inevitably grow stronger, bigger, richer, more powerful. Um, and, you know, maybe one thesis is that as China's growth is slowing, as you're starting to see sort of societal fissures that China, you know, if you're sitting in, in Delhi or Tokyo, um, doesn't seem quite as scary anymore. Um, there's also, you know, a, 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 a theory that we get down a timeline where um, the domestic disturbances become so overwhelming that maybe she decides that he wants to escalate something in Taiwan as a way to distract folks um, or, or, or another um, uh, um, or, or another um, border, potentially. Um, again, this is like like very aggressive, irresponsible speculation on my part. Um, but I do think these sort of things do end up resonating globally in one way or another. Um, you know, another way this could this could play out is um, uh, if you do see an aggressive crackdown, um, maybe 
sort of European countries who are still a little bit on the fence about just how they want to, um, uh, you know, chart out the course of their relationship with China going forward might ask some harder questions than they um, than they than they are today. Uh, any thoughts on that? Oh, okay. A little too early. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. I mean, it might impact. It certainly will impact uh, the foreign relations between China and the rest of the world, depending on what the party is going to do yeah. with the protests, right? Uh, but I don't think the German uh, government will change or the German industries will change their opinions or decisions or strategies with China uh, because of the protests. But it will have an impact depending on what the government is going to do, the, the, the Chinese the party is going to do afterwards. So if there's a massive uh, repression crackdown like what happened in 89 uh, that certainly is going not going to be conducive for the uh, de-escalation or uh, conciliatory approach in China between China and the rest of world in foreign relations uh, so the party has a choice to make and it will be a very difficult uh, choice from the party's perspective uh, because on the one hand you want to play tough in front of the challenges, right? Uh, you have to play tough. Uh, otherwise, it would set a bad example. It will induce more protests in the future, which is something the party uh, does not want to see. Uh, but if you play tough, then it has its consequences as well, directly and indirectly. Uh, so... Uh, it's it's a pity that we come to this point uh, because it, it doesn't have to be this way. If the party had already eased up in the summer, uh, then gradually it can, uh, because it, I'm no medical expert, but I have been told over and over again that winter is a bad time, is a good time for the virus, but bad time for uh, easing up. Uh, so if it had done something uh, last summer, uh, probably the the most critical moment of the crisis have been over by now. Uh, and it had if it had imported started the importing plan of the uh, uh, mRNA vaccines, and it would have uh, vaccinated uh, the more vulnerable population uh, for one dose at least by now. Uh, so the situation will be better. Yeah. I mean, but I, that didn't happen. I, I don't think this is the part that I don't think is overdetermined. Like, I, 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 I do think that they did have choice. They absolutely did have choices and different leadership could have made different decisions, particularly when it comes to how, um, you know, over, you know, over the course of late 2021 and 2022, um, the party could have handled uh, COVID. <laughs> No, um, I just thought I, 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 I was surprised by what happened uh, overnight yesterday uh, with the, how quickly the protests can spread. Because when you have been observing the whole situation for the three years, you would, thought, you would have thought that something would happen at any point of time. But you, you don't know when and if 
it has been going on for three years with nothing happened. You thought it's the, the society is dead and nothing would ever happen. And then suddenly without any uh, uh, signaling or any uh, <laughs> alarm, uh, things happen. Uh, it, it, I have more questions than answers to your questions. Uh, for example, how did the students organize? Uh, they, because from the, what we have understood, uh, from protests in Hong Kong and other places, they say it's decentralized. There's no uh, central figure as a leadership uh, of the movement. Uh, but you have to have someone to organize, to decide where to meet, when, uh, and what slogans we're going to have, right? There has to be some level of organization. And how did they achieve that? And how come the police did not capture that information before that happened? Because, as you know, uh, before uh, the pandemic, uh, the, the party so, had been so successful in social control is because they can detect problems before the problems escalated into a large-scale protest, right? It seems the police sometimes know more information about the gathering than the people who are organizing the gathering. Uh, so that they can be uh, blocked at home and prevented from taking public transport to travel to other places to meet. And this time, it seems the police was totally off guard. And how, how, how did that happen? Uh, through what platform did the students organize? Yeah. Uh, that's something very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's all this political science literature about, like, the importance of civil society and whatnot. And look, clearly this isn't... Martin Luther King uh, running around the South in the 50s and 60s, mobilizing churches slowly but surely to build a, um, you know, a, a, a sort of vanguard as well as, you know, popular support for um, for a broad movement. But I do think what, you know, these uh, uh, the, these kids today in China have is, um, you know, the the, <laughs> the Internet. Um, and even though it, and sort of clearly there's like enough communication that has been able to happen on uh, on 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 WeChat and other platforms um, that even if you don't have Telegram um, or um, or, uh, you know, or signal, you're able to um, to to really make your voice heard. Now, I think the question is, uh, yes, you can perhaps sort of mobilize people who are all very frustrated by just sort of walking around the dorms and talking to folks um, and saying, hey, let's meet here now. Um, and the sort of virality of the Internet overwhelming the censors, um, you know, helped definitely you know, bring more people to these um, to these actions that that started in Shanghai, Beijing and all these other um, cities across the across the country. But I think now the real question is, is this something that can possibly be sustained once you sort of like get past that initial phase of surprise by the government and you see the security state really ramp up and turn on. And, um, you know, this is going to be the phase where uh, the sort of tools that are available to um, uh, to sort of mainland China, um, the, the mainland China police state is far different from what you see in pretty much every other country in the world um, that has tried to repress its um its protests, which is ultimately why I'm um, pretty skeptical of the idea that this is going to be something that is going to be able to metastasize and sustain in the way 
uh, a protest in Iran or or Hong Kong did. Um, but there's you know an outside chance that I'm wrong, and this uh, this sort of leads us into a very very dangerous place. Yes, I'm totally uh, agreeing with you. And there's uh, one thing I want to add is uh, these uh, millennials. Uh, they 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 grew up in the environment where they watch uh, Meiju, the uh, American talk shows, American television shows, um, Hollywood films. Uh, and on the one hand, they continue to receive this uh, brainwashing political education from schools. Uh, but uh, when they are not in the classroom, they watch uh, all these uh, different, they receive different kind of entertainment information, uh, which is heavily influenced by the Western world. Uh, so that probably have, uh, has also contributed to a different value system uh, in the minds of these uh, young people uh, compared to the older generation. And uh, one other thing, last thing I want to uh, talk about is uh, the, the uh, legal development over the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, we see uh, a lot of limitations of the legal development system, right? And there's still uh, uh, significant uh, problems and restrictions on judicial independence, judicial autonomy, uh, and the autonomy of the legislature. Um, so it's still very difficult to challenge governmental actions in China, let alone the party. However, the, the, the legal education in the last 20 or 30 years has injected a common sense of rights, uh, the awareness of, of rights and limitation of power that you can see from so many videos that has been leaked out from China where uh, normal residents trying to make a legal argument uh, uh, from the, the enforcers, the, the police who are trying to enforce the lockdown measures and asking them, do you have, uh, what's your source of authority? Do you have a document, written document that gives you the power uh, to lock our doors? And in many instances, they succeeded. Uh, so that's something we shouldn't ignore uh, either. On the one hand, despite of all the limitations of the legal reforms, it does have done something in increasing the awareness of rights and limitation of power. Thank you so much for being a part of China Talk. Thank you for inviting me. We are. 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 We